Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we no longer talk about Animorphs because we've already done that. But we're not ready to say goodbye to Catherine Applegate and Michael Grant. Turns out they wrote more books. What? Books that we will be reading and casually discussing? You bet. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month as we morph into the Apple Grant Book Club. It's time to talk about war. Famine, death, and whatever the other one is. Pollution. Destruction. Oh. Annihilation. Uh, yeah. Plague. Plague. Famine. Pestilence. War. Locusts. Locusts. Uh, uh, rain, blood rain. Um... Grasshopper? Oh, right. No, that's locust. Um, that's locust. What are the again. other plagues? Uh, 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 flooding. Is that flooding. a plague? Maybe. Oh, there could just be the the disease. No, you said pest- pestilence. So, hmm. I'm trying to think of Prince of Egypt. That cool song. Yeah. No, I. Um. So the the livestock die. There's locusts. There's frogs. There's Blood oh, in the right. river. Um, blood in the there's river. Probably some other That's kind so of... fucking metal. The the blood in the river. Blood in the river. Blood flows in this river. Oh, there's like boils too. Ah, uh, like people get boils on their body. Okay, that's so that's yes. five. Susan. And then the firstborn child thing was like. The seventh or eighth or something. Do they give them away or do they kill them? Um. So the that that mist thing goes through the town and it ignores the houses with the X's on them. But if it doesn't have an X on them, then they kill them. Ah, yes. The mist that can read letters of the English alphabet. <laughs> it's a godly <laughs> mist. I don't know. <laughs> it's a godly it mist. It's a godly mist. It's God in a mist form. <laughs> it's an elemist. <gasps> Elemistical. Two men. Two, Two men, men the bastard. mist boy. Hello? Hi. You, you you went away, but then you came back. I think it's because I yelled Two men the mist boy, and the phone was like, no, you've gone <laughs> too far. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the, the CIA agent listening in on this call was like, "Nope, yeah, listen, turn the volume down. You've talked too much animorphs already. You're eight minutes in to not an animorphs book, and here you are talking about the Elemist yet a fucking again." <sighs> listen, look, he's everywhere. He like is, Brittany. Brittany. <laughs> What? What? <laughs> what if the Elemist and Cryak had like a rap battle? <gasps> like a diss track? Oh my god. <laughs> and like, would it just be like 
horror screeching on the track of like an ancient language that we can't possibly understand probably like maybe their diss track maybe their diss track is in the world every day every time a car takes off with a bad belt and you hear that horrific screech every time a fire alarm blares every horrible (laughs) terrible noise that we hear is just echoes of a Cryac Elemis diss track in the very fabric of space-time. I like that. It would explain a lot. <laughs> I like it when things are explained, but not by man. Just, in general, explained. Yeah, like, we don't have to to prove it. See, now we've circled back to the god thing again. We don't have to prove it, we just have to say it. It is so. Yeah. Yep. So what we've invented is the Bible 2.0 is what's happened. We're 10 minutes in and we've already reinvented the Bible. Excellent. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about a book. Let's talk about the book Silver Stars. Okay, we need to discuss some things. Yeah, we do. First, okay, the most important. Let's, let's start with the most important. Uh-huh. I, I pictured... Sergeant Cole, beloved Sergeant Cole, as being like a fucking like 40 plus year old man. Like, stand. He is a child. He is a child. He's younger than we are. And I just can't get on board with that. Yes. What the fuck? I thought he was gonna. Like, I legitimately thought he looked like the soldier from Team Fortress 2. Like, we're talking older gentleman in the helmet with the like 26 year old baby i don't think so with a gap tooth yeah so he looks even more more baby yeah he's he's baby he is baby he's a baby child so weird he is infant he's so small because yeah because i thought i thought he was gonna like I thought they had mentioned that he was in, like, World War One or some shit, so that would make him older. But I suppose when you're in World War One, you don't have to go into World War Two, Because it's like, okay, you're done. <laughs> and you're also old, and you probably have PTSD and stuff. You already beat World War Part One. We don't expect <laughs> you to come back oh, no. for Part Two. Oh, dear. Oh, no. Jesus. Jesus. Ooh. Oh. Um. <laughs> But yeah, I wasn't expecting that. He's very young, and I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I feel like it's very accurate. Like, I feel like it's more accurate than him being old. Uh, Yeah, I just... I don't know. (laughs) Anybody younger than me just seems really young. Yes, uh, I also am young enough to not know what I'm doing, so... Yeah. I can't imagine he knows what he's... I mean, that's the whole point, right? Nobody knows what they're doing. Like, right. that is the point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shit. Shit. That's but also, it. I don't know what I'm doing, and that was not that was not the point. Well... I, someone tell me what to do. <laughs> well, at least you don't have to shoot anyone on, like, a yeah. daily basis. <laughs> I like how you 
justified not on the daily as if like well bi-weekly i do go out and shoot things <laughs> oh no just not daily <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um i don't know what you do in your day to day i don't know not gonna pass judgment I'm in constant contact with you. You know exactly what I do on a day-to-day. <laughs> I am sending you Marco Polos throughout the day. Oh, my God. It's delightful. But, you know, there's little pockets of time that I'm, I'm assuming I miss. Just go out and... I mean, it's home. really just planning for the next Marco Polo is what, what it is. Uh, yes, it's all prep time. I knew it. It is. Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. Ah, oh, shit. All right, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? All right. Um, That's a great question. There were uh, tanks in it. Yup. Okay, and there's a new friend that we have. BB! BB! Travis McElroy's child BB is in this book. Is it BB or Bebe? Oh. The Bebe. When reading it, I did not hear the Moira Rose spin on it. (gasps) Yeah, see? But it is now the Bebe. And also, Zinu called him Boo Boo at some point, which is a Yogi Bear. Uh, the oh, little, little boo-boo bear. Yeah, the Look little one. Look at this one. picnic basket. Yeah, yeah. the picnic I basket. You. I got you. I fucking know about the picnic basket. Okay, good. <laughs> Wasn't sure if you were informed. This is some weird energy. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we just have like a balloon and we're just like keeping it up in the air and we're just like doing stunts and it's just. Like, so what you're saying is that this is the coolest podcast we have ever made. <laughs> We're doing fucking balloon tricks. We're doing karaoke. We're performing. The best goddamn party. It's <laughs> the best goddamn thing I've ever made. Uh-huh. You ever you ever start a podcast and think this feels like a balloon trick day? Because <laughs> we have, and it's this one. <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> do, do you want me to read the prologue? Sure. All right. In keeping with what we've done in the past books, I'm reading you, the prologue. You don't have to. I decided to. I have no notes on it because I decided to. People. Okay. Go ahead. Read it. It's just so long. Anyway, go. It is. It's a little long. I apologize. Okay. No. Prologue. 107th EVAC Hospital in Wurzburg, Germany. Fuck, I just realized there was a thing I meant to look up how to pronounce before. Whatever. April 1945. Welcome back, gentle reader. Welcome back to the war. I've got quite a pile of typed pages now. Quite a pile. And I'm, I'm not even a third of the way through. But I've already got some readers. Some of the people here in this hospital with me. And, well, they've stopped complaining about me being up typing at all hours, so I guess I'll keep at it. I'm still not quite ready to tell you who I am. I'm not being coy or cute 
I just find it easier to write about all of it, even my own part, as if it happened to someone else. And if I put myself forward, you might start thinking of me as the hero of the story. I can't allow that because I know better. I know who the heroes are and who the heroes were, and I am neither. I'm just a shot-up GI sitting here typing and trying not to scratch the wound on my chest. Which, damn it, feels like I've got a whole colony of ants in there. I suppose this means I'll never be able to wear a bathing suit or a plunging neckline. That will bother me someday. But right now, looking around this ward at my fellow soldier girls and the soldier boys across the hall, I'm not feeling the urge to complain. I hear civilians saying, we're all heroes. Heard someone. Was it Arthur Godfrey on Armed Forces Radio? I can't recall, but it's nonsense anyways. If everyone's a hero, then no one is. Others say everyone below ground is a hero, but a lot of those were just green kids who spent an hour or a day on the battlefield before standing up when they shouldn't have, or stepping where they shouldn't have stepped. If there's something heroic about standing up to scratch your ass and having some kraut sniper ventilate your head, I guess I don't see it. If by hero you mean one of those soldiers who will follow an order to rush a kraut machine gun or stuff a grenade in a tank hatch, well, that's closer to meaning something. But the picture in your imagination, gentle reader, may not bear much similarity to reality. I knew a guy who did just that, jumped up on a tiger tank and dropped a grenade, or was it two, down the hatch. Blew the hell out of it, too. But he'd just gotten a Dear John letter from his fiance in the same batch of mail that informed him that his brother had been killed. So I guess it was right on the line between heroism and suicide. Don't take me for a cynic, though. I'm not as cynical about bravery. There are some real heroes, some gold-plated heroes, here in this ward with me. There are still more lined up in rows beneath white crosses and stars of David in Italy and France, Belgium, Holland, and some of them were friends of mine. Oh boy, it's hard to type once they get teary. God damn it, I'll just take a minute here. Anyway, my feeling bad doesn't raise any of these people from the grave. They brought some wounded crowds in today, four of them. They're in a separate ward, of course, but I saw them through the window, saw the ambulance, dusty olive green with a big red cross on the roof. It wasn't easy to tell that they were Germans at first. They were more bandaged than uniform. But even though the dingy window glass, even through the dingy window glass, I could make out that one still had some medals pinned to his tunic. Not our medals, so I guess he was a hero too, just on the wrong side. I hope the medals give that Kraut some comfort because he was missing both legs above the knee and his right hand was gone as well. I saw his face. He was a handsome fellow, movie star handsome, I thought with a wide mouth and perfectly straight Aryan nose and dark sunken eyes. I knew the eyes. I didn't know the kraut, but yeah, I sure knew that look. I see it when I look in the mirror, even now. If you stay too long in the war, it's like your eyes try to get away, like they're sinking down, trying to hide wary little animals crawling into the cave of your eye sockets. No, not like animals, like GIs. There's nothing a soldier knows better than squatting in the bottom of a hole. Cat Preeling wrote a poem about that, which... I'll probably mangle, but here's what I recall. Dig it deep and in you creep, while all around the boom-boom sound. Mud to your knees while your buddy pees, another hole like the hole before. Yeah, that's all I remember. It goes on for a couple dozen verses. Anyways, I still type away at this battered old typewriter, and some of the girls come by and take a few pages to read when they're tired of the magazines the USO gets us. They seldom talk to me about it. Mostly they just read. And after a while, they bring the pages back and maybe give me a nod. That's my proof that I'm writing the truth, because sure as hell I'd hear about it if I started writing nonsense. We soldier girls, 
Sorry, I mean warrior women or American Amazons or whatever the hell the newspapers are calling us now. We've had about enough of people lying about us. The folks who hate the idea of women soldiers tell one set of lies. The people who like the notion of women at war tell a different set of lies. If you believe the one side were nothing but a drag on the men and the other side acts like we won the war all by ourselves, we could probably get a pretty good debate going here on the women's ward over the question of which set of lies we hate more. The one that denies what we've done, the other belittles our what our brothers have done. We won't have either. We women are a red flag to the traditionalists, which is to say 90% of the military. But as much as we don't want to be, the truth is we're a symbol to people who think it's about time for women and coloreds to stand equal. Woody Guthrie wrote that song about us. Count yourself lucky you can't hear me singing it under my breath as I type. Our boys are all fighting on land and sea and air. But say, some of them boys ain't boys at all. Why, some of those boys got pretty long hair. It may surprise, but I can tell you all, when it comes to killing Nazis, our girls stand tall. A fascist supreme die every bit as fast from bullets fired by a tough little lass. For our part, we sure as hell did not want to be a symbol of anything. Though we did sort of like Woody's song. He wanted exactly what every soldier who has ever fought a war in foreign lands wants. He wanted to go home. And if we couldn't go home, then by God, we wanted hot food, hot showers, cold beer, and to sleep in an actual bed for about a week solid. But we're just GIs, and no one gives a damn what a GI wants, male or female. Tunisia, Sicily, Italy, France, Belgium, Germany. Vicious little firefights you've never heard of, and great battles whose names will echo down through history. Casserine, Salerno, Monte Cassino, Anzio, D-Day, The Bulge. About all I missed was Anzio. And thank whatever mad god rules the lives of soldiers for keeping us out of that particular hell. There's a woman here, a patient on the ward, who is a nurse at Anzio. All she ever does is stare at her hands and cry. Though the funny thing is, she can still play a pretty good game of gin rummy. Go figure. Whatever the newspapers tell you, we women are neither weak sisters nor invincible Amazons. We're just GIs doing our job, which after Kasserine, we'd begun to figure out meant a single thing, killing Germans. So, gentle reader, we come now to a period of time after Kasserine, when those truths were percolating inside us. We were coming to grips with what we were meant to do, what we were meant to be, what we had no choice but to become. We were girls, you see, not even women, just girls most of us when we started. And the boys were just boys, not men, most of them. We'd only just begun to live life. We knew little and understood less. We were uniformed, incomplete. It's funny how easy it is to see that now. If you'd called me a child three years ago when this had started, I'd have been furious. But looking back, we were children, just getting ready to figure out what adulthood was all about. It's a hell of a thing when a person in that wonderful, trembling moment of readiness is suddenly yanked sharply away from everything they have ever known and is handed over to drill sergeants and platoon sergeants and officers. Ah, uh, good. The youngster's learning that our purpose is to kill. Yeah, we figured that out. And we knew by then how to be good army privates. We could dig nice deep holes. We could follow orders. We knew how to unjam an M1. We knew how to take care of our feet. And we knew how to walk point on patrol. Mostly, we knew what smart privates always figured out. You stick close to your sergeant, because that's your mama, your daddy, and your big brother all rolled into one. But here's one of the nasty little twists that come in war. If you don't manage to get wounded or die, they'll promote you. And then, before you're even close to ready, you are the sergeant. 
You're the one green kids are sticking to, and you're the only thing keeping those fools alive. Right when you start to get good at following, they want you to lead. Some of us made that leap, some didn't. Not every good private makes a good sergeant. But enough of all that. What about the war itself? Shall I remind you where we were in the narrative, gentle reader? After Kasserine, the army in its wisdom got General Frerendahl the hell away from the shooting war, and it turned the mess over to General George Patton, old blood and guts. He and his British counterpart, General Montgomery, finished off the exhausted remains of the German Africa Corps and their Italian buddies and sent General Rommel back to Hitler to explain his failure. Everyone knew North Africa had just been the first round. We knew we were moving on, but we didn't know where to. Back to Britain to prepare for the final invasion? To Sardinia? To Greece? The south of France? Being soldiers, we lived on scuttlebutt. None of it accurate. Turned out the first answer was Sicily. Sicily is a big, hot, dusty, stony, hard-hearted island that's been conquered by just about every empire in the history of the Mediterranean. Athenians, Carthaginians... Phoenicians, Romans, Normans, you name it. And now it was our turn to conquer it. And damned if we didn't just do it. This is the story of three young women who fought in the greatest war in human history. Frangie Marr, an undersized color girl from Tulsa, Oklahoma, who loved animals. Time after time, she ran into the thick of it, into the thick of the fight, not to kill, but to save lives. Rainy Schulterman, a Jewish girl from New York City with a gift for languages and a ruthless determination to destroy Nazis. And Rio Ricklin, an underage white farm girl from Northern California who could not manage her love life and never was quite sure why she was in this war, not until we reached the camps, anyway. But she could sure kill the hell out of crowds. They didn't win the war alone, those three, nor did the rest of us, but we all did our part. And we didn't disgrace ourselves or let our brothers and sisters down, which is all any soldier can aspire to. That and getting home alive. Woo! And that's the prologue. Wow. There's a lot. Yeah. A lot here. There's a lot. Uh, I really love those parts, though. Yeah, me too. And also, I have maybe a new suspicion about who the narrator is tell me um i don't remember what we said before i know for a while we were like oh it's rio but then we were like no it's not rio i think it might be Janu. yes that's what i think too okay it, like that that bit about the like bathing suit or plunging neckline mm-hmm. and yep yep that tipped me off yep <laughs> yep i think it's her I think it's her as well. Ooh. Mm, that's my guess. Ooh. Oh boy. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I've I loved that prologue. Mm-hmm. I know we don't have to spend like a ton of time because I just read it verbatim, but like It's good. I I love the tone. I love the tone so much. Mm-hmm. I and like so I love the when the narrator is like, oh, there's some people that think like you know we were just dragging down the men, and the other side thinks that like oh we we were the heroes and we won the war all by ourselves, and we don't subscribe to either thing. It's just like reinforcing the whole like there's no black and white, there's no like you know the, the universal truth of one thing and not another. Like everything's kind of like there's aspects of all things 
Yeah. Um, oh man, I I loved that, and I loved the hints at like what is to come. Uh-huh. Oh man, I apologize for all my pronunciations just throughout time. No, can we just can we just put a blanket apology? No, you did great. <laughs> I was like, did I? I was like, damn, Alex is like killing this. I I kept stumbling over my words when I was reading my prologues. <laughs> <laughs> and you were oh, just no. like smooth you did not. like butter smooth like fucking <laughs> margarine no I don't I don't think you stumbled over it I did but I also get to practice a lot because I seem to be the one that always finds like historical letters and things and has to read them out to people on DNDB so I got practice. That's because you're good at it and you have a lovely, sultry voice. <laughs> I was just on a call today about like vocal fry and learning like how to talk good. It clearly worked, as you can tell. <laughs> oh, is that the one where, oh, where it was like, pe- like people from the North talk faster or something? Yeah, and then uh, Dan was was adding a little bit of context, too, of conversational overlapping, showing engaged listening, Mm -hmm. and he was saying that's something that is uh, apparently, like, very common for, like, people that were raised Jewish, Mm -hmm. which is interesting, because, like, I, like, there was not, like, um, any history given on this, because it just, it, that's not what the whole conversation was about right it was about like learning how to speak in the workplace and corporate and blah 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 but um it was interesting to get those little hints of things that i actually cared to learn about (laughs) is overlap speaking is that like interrupting or yeah it's like where you like interrupt like with um I, you know, this probably isn't super correct, but, like, yes, it is interrupting each other to, like, show that you're actively listening. And I always think of this where, like, Scott does this thing to me where, like, to show he's actively listening, he'll figure out where I'm going with a sentence and then try to, like, say, like, the last word that I'm going to say or say, like, the point of what I'm going to say to uh-huh. show, like, I am hearing what you're saying so much so that I know where you're going with this and uh-huh. I will prove it. Uh-huh. Okay. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take note of that. Yeah, it's that's not how, like, that's not a habit I have, I think. I mean, interrupting, maybe, but not, like, <laughs> conversational overlapping. I know that um, I don't know. Matt, sometimes he'll be trying to explain something, and he'll have to pause to kind of, like, gather his thoughts, and sometimes I'll just interject with what I think he's going to say. But sometimes I do this a lot and I feel really bad when it's not correct. And then I kind of have to catch myself and go, okay, I'm just going to shut up and let you tell your story. (laughs) I'm sorry. Well, that could also be like, there is a very like pointed, like it's like 0.200 milliseconds before you feel uncomfortable with the silence because you feel like the conversation has stalled. That, yeah, I could believe that. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god, this has nothing to do with anything. But um, there's, um, do you know the the Wii music, the like, do 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 do. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's. Somebody took that music and put it on YouTube and put awkward pauses in the music. 
Oh no. Like uncomfortably long pauses at like weird times. So you'll be like in the groove and then there will be a pause where you're not expecting it. Makes you physically, viscerally stressed out and uncomfortable. Like. Yeah. And I've, I've listened to this multiple times and like Matt and I laugh about it, but like we were listening to it the other day and I was just sitting there like my heart rate is elevated and I'm like physically stressed because of this music. Like Jesus fucking Christ. Anyway. It just reminded me of that. That is very stressful. It's so stressful. I hate that. It's... Maybe I'll post it to the Discord just to upset everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, motherfuckers. Good morning. Have a <laughs> shitty day. Here you go. <laughs> I would. Have a shitty day. <laughs> oh, no. Oof. Oh, boy. But yeah, um, yeah, no, it was a great narration. I'm in awe. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm not. Uh. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. Karaoke's back. Uh, karaoke is back. Well, should we get going with our girls? Yeah, give me the girls. All right, here's chapter one. Summary. I'm not going to read it verbatim this time. This is a summary. (laughs) Sorry, it would be very long if I read it. We are 20% through this book at chapter four, which I did not expect. Should I? Okay, hang on. Let me backtrack for one second. So this book is broken up into three parts, right? Yeah. So logically, it was, we'll take half and half of each part to mm-hmm. make six parts because it it's about the same length as the first book. Didn't quite work out that way. It didn't quite work out that way. And I was like, oh, the prologue through chapter four. But chapter four is very long. So like legitimately, like with the, I'm reading this digitally for once instead of like with the actual book. We are legitimately 18% through this book at chapter four. Yeah. Like, that's wild. Yeah. Yeah, because, like... They... (laughs) Because, like, part two and three are, like, you know, three quarters of the the book, even though it should be, like... Yeah. yeah, It's not not divided very evenly. Like, part one is a lot shorter than parts two and three. Yeah. But... Like, whatever. I have a few short palm counts. Yeah, it'll be fine. We'll fill it with song. Yeah, so anyways, that's why we're singing to you. Yeah, is to, to fill time. To kill time. <laughs> we're stalling. Oh, God. Sorry. All right. If only that were true. If only we had thought that far ahead. This is the benefit Ugh. of having flexible time podcasts. Yeah, that's true. Although I still, every time I edit, I'm like, got to get under two hours. And sometimes I'll be like, no, I don't. <laughs> But I still try to do it every time. Well, you know, it's a good goal. <laughs> it's fine. Okay, anyways, let's get the fuck to it. Yay. So, Rio and Jeannot are sprawled out on the front of a burned-out German tank. And Jeannot is asking Rio to describe her first time, what it was like. <laughs> like, in a kind of, like, really, like, oh, tell me all about it kind of thing. Like, listen, it's... 
what you thought she meant by describe your first time, just hold on to that for a second. Mm -hmm. They have their army pants rolled up to their knees and sleeveless shirts on, and they're laying on this moth-eaten green blanket, almost as if they're, like, in some sort of, like, camp or picnic, but on a burned-out tank hall. And then they kind of, like, spread out, like, around the camp. You get, like, a little snapshots of what everybody else is doing. Like, everybody's trying to relax, but they're in the heat of the desert. They're all, like, sweating, and it's horrible. And there's only one woman who has been bold enough to strip down to just her boxers and her bra. And that is Kat, who is playing horseshoes with Tilo, who is stripped down to his boxers. And, like, literally, they're like, Kat is just so unapproachable as a person. <laughs> like, not... Not that she's horrible, but literally, like, you could tell that she would just blow you off so hard that no one even tries. She'll crush your head and like I a love sparrow's that. egg between her thighs. Yes, I, I like, like she is just Louisa in my mind. Oh my god! Encanto. Yes! Like, just muscles. <laughs> intimidation. Just muscles. Just impressive as shit. Yeah. Like, but like a, a wonderful, welcoming, warm person. With a big personality, but also a fucking mountain of a person that will crush you. <laughs> I love it. I love Cat. I love Cat so much. Same. Oh, God. Um, so, yeah. So, she's playing horseshoes with Tilo, who's still a little shit. And <laughs> Jeannot... <laughs> it's true, okay? It's true. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> oh. And Jeannot is, again, like, pushing Rio, like, tell me about the first time... And Rio has this moment of, like, in an instant, she's back there. She's setting up on the ground and hearing the screaming in her ears of, shoot. And in her mind, she can feel the way that her entire body tenses and her breathing stops until she lets it out as she pulls the trigger. And then, bang, the gun kicks back into her shoulder. And she watches as the man on the other side of her scope trips and stumbles. And she thinks, that's it. He tripped. He just tripped. But then he was dead. And she's acutely aware as she comes out of this that this was not the, f the first time that Jeannot had asked this of her. This is the third time she wanted to hear her recount this particular incident. And she was also aware that this was in some way the way that Jeannot was gauging if Rio is still recognizable as her friend Rio. And she has this other thought that's kind of percolating where she's like Jeannot didn't have a warm home and a family and all of that. So for her Rio is her touch point of security and her home and what grounds her. And then suddenly this is all interrupted by the blaring warning, which meant planes are incoming. And sure enough, they see on the horizon two black specks. So they slide off this tank much faster than they had gone up the tank. And Rio just leads them underneath it, reasoning that, hey, the plane's not going to shoot a burned out version of their own tank. It's clearly fucked. So we're safest under here. And that instinct is true. Uh, these planes come over the camp and start strafing the camp, and then there's some anti-aircraft guns firing back in response, and then the planes drop missiles, and one lands between a few tents, but it doesn't go off. It's a dud. The other one hits a truck and sends it flying through the air with this spurt of flame and huge explosion. The engine breaks loose when it's 20 feet up in the air and goes flying like some sort of cartoon anchor towards some soldiers who scurry out of the way and they just whoops into the sand. And then once the planes pass, Rio and Jeannot crawl out of where they took cover. Sand and dirt stuck to them, face down all the way to their knees. They're absolutely coated. And Jeannot is like, 
they could have at least waited for us to towel off before making us hit the dirt. And then two medics run past them over towards where this bombing happened. And one turns to Rio and Jeannot and grabs his crotch and starts saying, hey, I can offer you girls a gynecological exam. And then he trips and falls flat on his ass and Rio and Jeannot share a satisfied nod. <laughs> That's chapter one, motherfuckers! Fucking stunning. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. So good. Oh and the fact, like, there was this other part I loved where, like, they're just laying on this jeep and just, like, you know, shooting the shit, and there's, like, a bunch of dudes passing. They're like, hey, baby! And mm-hmm. Jeannot just, like, flicks them off without even looking at them. And I'm just like, yes! Powerful. Yes. I love that. I Like, it was so good. And, like, oh, my God. The way it was written, though. Like, can we just talk about, like how fucking incredible the scene was from the standpoint of like it was written exactly like these are two girls on their day off Uh at a picnic down by the river talking about their first time kissing a boy blah 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 and then just like in front of our eyes transforms into like this horrific moment of like no she's asking about the first time that Rio killed someone right yeah beautiful it's so good beautiful so good and like the fucking air raid happens and it's you know it's kind of like not a big deal it's not like it's like oh yeah they're back all right take oh god i got dirt all over my front like yes it's oh my god they've come so far from the last book i know it's not even phased by anything now it's fucking incredible Oh, and, like, and Rio's, like, PTSD, like, getting in her own head, reliving the moment kind Mm -hmm. of a thing. Like, that, for me, was, like, such a cinematic moment. Like, I can hear the soundscape of, like, tell me about your first time. And it's kind of that, like, you know, when everything's, like, full volume, and then all of a sudden it kind of, like, into, like, this, like, quiet, muted, like, they're going through their memory in this really muted way. And you hear, like, the yelling, but it's more of, like, that echoey, like, shoo, mm-hmm. shoo. Like, and you're hearing, like, it was so cinematic for me. I could, I was living that whole thing mm-hmm. in my mind. Like, I was watching it. That was it. so good. It's so good. Uh. Uh. God, I love this. God, I love this book these books i haven't read this one too like the other one i had already read this one i have not read at all so like i'm just Mm -hmm. as shocked at everything that's happening yeah yeah (laughs) oh ah it's just such a good opener (laughs) it's so good and like it's such like a fun echo of like where because last time it, it didn't like straight up open here but it kind of opened with them like getting their milkshakes and sodas yeah. and like you know doing like girly things and this was like such an echo but like in a totally alien place. yeah like they're sharing a coca-cola but it's like hot from sitting in the sun and like mm-hmm. they're tanning basically on the hood of a fucking tank and they have to like flip over <laughs> to do the other side and like oh my god they're just trying to relax amidst all of this fucking nasty chaos yeah Ugh. the adaptability of humans Incredible. yeah i know and the the speed at which they adapt mm-hmm. 
It's so great. I I was like, holy shit, what a strong fucking opening. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, should we should we visit with Frangie? Oh, having a less fun time. Yeah. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about Frangie because she is having a less fun time at this moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Frangie is in a camp that is very similar to the one that Rio and Jeannot are in. But the difference is that everyone here, except for a few of the people in charge, are people of color. And Frangie is hearing this, like, screaming kind of a distance away, but they aren't in a battle, so she isn't quite sure what's happening until one of the sergeants approaches her and grabs her, not roughly, but urgently, and is pulling her along, saying, we need a doctor. So they're jumping over latrine ditches and running across, and as they rush over to the site of the screaming, the sergeant catches her up on what happened. And there were some soldiers that were walking alongside a Sherman tank, which is like 75,000 pounds. Right. <laughs> Thing is huge. Um, so they're walking next to the tank on this roadway, and they hit a patch of loose soil. And so the tank slid out into the ditch on the side of the road and pinned a soldier underneath it. And as they approach, the screaming is getting louder. And Frangie sees this precariously balanced tank with its nose stuck almost straight up into the air. And it clearly couldn't try to go forward without risking sliding down more. And when Frangie asked about pulling it, they said, well, we have nothing to pull it out with. And we tried, but the nearest technician is like 20 miles away. So they could be here, but it's going to be later rather than sooner. And Frangie's going through like all these checklists in her mind about like, what does that mean for the person pinned under there? And the more time that goes past, obviously the worse it gets. And so Frangie is dealing with this, with this soldier that's screaming for morphine pinned under the tank. This thing is precariously balanced. It could go at any moment. And Frangie's like, what do you want me to do? Crawl down there? And it was clear from the looks that she got from everybody around her that that is absolutely what they expected her to do. So Frangie is terrified. She starts looking into where she can kind of see under this thing and starts crawling in and praying and just begging God not to let this thing fall on her. And she has to go kind of under the grill of this tank, which is giving off this heat and that's causing this little dugout area to swelter like the inside of an oven in an already baking desert. And her imagination keeps coming up with all the ways this tank is going to fall just so to crush her. And the fear is creeping in. But then Frangie sees the soldier's face distorted with pain and screaming. And this committed calm comes over her where she's like, okay, I think I can help this person. So she gets two soldiers to grab her legs and lower her down. And she gets right down there to observe what's going on. And she sees the tank pushing down onto the soldier's back. And she says, are you bleeding anywhere? And he goes, I don't know. And he's screaming and panicking and crying out. And the only way that Frangie can see that she can get this guy out of it is to dig a little more underneath him to create a space where she could maybe pull him out and just pray that the tank didn't slide down more when she was doing this. So she does ask for a shovel and they're kind of taken aback and they're like, oh, this tank could go, but they do provide her with one. So she starts to try and dig and immediately there's this issue of there's nowhere to put the dirt because she's blocking the entryway and she can't really dig under there. But the sergeant seeing what she's doing says, grab a poncho. And so working together, they devise this system where Frangie digs out a scoop of soil, they pull it out on the poncho and then repeat. And then Frangie's starting to see there's a little less pressure on the soldier's back. And finally, 
there's a little bit of space. So she reaches along his back, feeling for the wound, and there's blood everywhere. She finds a rib that is poking out of his back, and she can see why there is blood everywhere, because this break is nasty, and the bone is protruding. So at this point, she administers the morphine that he's been crying for the whole time and asks for a rope with a loop in it. So they pass down this rope, and the soldier, now that he's kind of a little bit more clear and has a little bit of pain medication in him, is more compliant. And so he puts his hands forward like she asks, and she puts a rope around his wrists, and then she says, okay, pull me out. So the soldiers pull him out, and then she says, okay, like now get him. And the sergeant orders that they pull him out steadily, and they free him not a moment too soon because the tank slips back down behind him. Frangie then starts assessing the wounds of this guy. I know, it's brutal. (laughs) Frangie starts assessing the wounds of this guy, and he is screaming and in pain, and she finds three broken ribs, not injuries that he would die from, but who knew the extent of the internal damage? And before they can flip him over, he passes out, and she's basically like, oh, thank God. So they flip him over, they find out that he has a root protruding from his stomach, and another soldier goes, oh, should we pull it out? And Frangie said, no, no, that could be acting as a plug to keep the blood in. So just leave it. And that at that point, she tells him, let's get him on a stretcher, let's get him out of here. And it's best to do it while he's passed out so he doesn't have to live through any more of this pain. So they strap him to a jeep, they get him carted out of there, and then the sergeant says, are you okay, to Frangie? And she said, I'm going to throw up. And he said, you deserve to throw up. In fact, you deserve a silver star, but they don't really give those out to colored soldiers all that much. So you just do you. And when she's done throwing up, he offers her a little bit of French brandy. And she kind of debates it for a moment because she still has this thing where her church was very much against alcohol and she doesn't want to like go against that because it's very important to her and blah, blah, blah. But it does seem rude to say no. And she really needed something to take the taste of bile out of her mouth. So she takes a sip and it burns down her throat and warms her limbs. And the sergeant said, you saved that boy's life. And Frangie replies with a very humble, it's my job, I suppose. That's chapter two. Oh, oh my God. She's so fucking badass. She's so bad. I fucking love her so much. Oh my God. I just, oh, I can't. She's so badass. Oh, my God. She is so badass. How? I don't know. (laughs) I don't fucking know. She's so fucking scared, but she stays calm and does what she needs to do. And, ah, I can't. God. Okay, here's the other thing that I loved is that, like, so she, I, I love the part where she's like scared and then like she gets that calm because she's like, I have a job to do, so I have mm-hmm. to do it. But like, I love her moments of like almost getting sassy where she does like very little things. Like she's saying a prayer, but she leaves out the part that says like something about like, oh, like, you know, as God's will, you know, as God will do kind of a thing. She's like, I'm not saying that part because if God's gonna, if his will is to crush me with a tank, I want it to at least be fucking hard on him. (laughs) (laughs) Those. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Cause like, I think, and that combined with the whole like, 
oh, like, I don't really want to drink because it's not, I shouldn't. But then she's like, ah, fuck it. Like, I kind of feel like she's, you know, losing her religion a little bit. That's her in the yes. corner. That's her in the spotlight. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. Which, like, honestly, seeing that much fucking, like, mindless, like, devastation and pain and agony, like, can you blame her? <laughs> like, No! I'm amazed she's stayed where she is now. Like, this is the biggest example of, like, piousness I have ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like, the, you know what? This reminds me. This is going to go a very weird place. Is that okay? Yeah. So, like, there was this girl that I knew growing up that her family was religious, but she just, like, drank the Kool-Aid way too fucking hard. Mm. And, like, she would do shit. Like, whenever she talked to you, she would always hold her hands together. She would hold her hands together in a praying gesture. When she talked to you, she talked to you in a way that made you think that she was a child of God at all times. It was always like that performative bullshit. And like, I always remember being so fucking frustrated because it's like, this is such an act. Mm -hmm. And like, I've always felt that with like people that try to put on that front of very like religious and very like into it. It's, It's always felt like a front to me. And like this, the way that Frangie is written is a way in which I'd be like, you are a person that is extremely religious, but like in a beautiful way mm-hmm. where like you are committed and it keeps you on this path, but you're also actually a good person. Yeah. And like want to do the right thing. And that means so much more like, yeah, you talk about like your church and all that kind of stuff. And I'm glad that that helps you Mm -hmm. stay on whatever path you want to be on. But you got to know it is your force of will that is making you this good. Yeah. (sighs) Which like that's. (sighs) Yeah. Yep. I don't want to say, like, that's what religion is supposed to be, because, like, everyone... But it is, right? Yeah, although, like, you know, then you get the righteous fucking Judge Claude Frollo types who are all like, I'm gonna kill people because that's what God wanted, and I am his, you know, embassy or whatever, blah, blah, blah. So, like, it it could be... fire! (laughs) (laughs) The gays can't marry... Yeah, like, all that bullshit, like... So it can be yeah. abused, but I agree. I, 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 I'm picking up what you're putting down about Frangie. Yes. Like she's thank you trying to be a good person <laughs> by the book. And she actually is a good person. And it's like, yeah, right. It's, yeah. Wonderful. It's amazing. Like <laughs> if every religious person was like that, I would not have hangups about religion. <laughs> exactly. Like exactly. Uh, yeah. And like, it's, she's an incredible example of somebody like that. Like, uh, I I get frustrated. (laughs) I don't know. I like, I, I'm just not compelled by this type of character usually, but I am very compelled by Frangie. Yeah, for sure. I just want her to catch a fucking break. I know. Right. Like, (laughs) 
even now, like literally everybody else around her has caught a break at this point, and she has just been in the shit since moment one. I know. Oh. Please, <laughs> please, someone, someone, someone help her. Yeah, seriously. Someone more qualified than me give <laughs> Frangie like a week off. Yep. I did kind of wonder because we predicted last book that in this book she was going to like lose a patient and that was going to like throw her into a bad place. Mm-hmm. And I thought like, oh God, like what if this is it? Like what if she's like almost getting this guy out and then he gets crushed by the tank or something like yeah. that? Or like she has to make a choice of like saving herself or this guy or like, I don't know. I was scared. I was very scared. Yeah. I was very scared, too. And, like, the the actual level of heroism it takes to do. Like, this was a small, small girl mm-hmm. that got lowered by a bunch of, like, brawny-ass men under a tank to save a dude. Mm-hmm. Like... This is this is the picture of bravery. Like this is it. Like <laughs> Yeah. Ugh. Fuck. Yeah. Agreed. Fuck is correct. Fucking shit. Fucking shit. She's amazing. Yep. Absolutely amazing. Yay. <sighs> Alright, any more frangy thoughts or should we visit our third favorite not third favorite, our third uh, our of our, our favorite girls, the third one that exists. Yes. <laughs> on equal favoriting level. I'm ready. Okay. Excellent. So we're here with Rainy, who is on a thirty day leave, which is why she finds herself in front of Colonel Corel this was Casey, this was torture for me to write notes on. This was fucking torture. Do you know how many times I wrote it and said Colonel Corelli in my mind before three quarters of the way through writing my notes said, Alex, that word is Colonel. We've been through this. Colonel is a stupidly spelled word. It should be K-E-R-N-A-L. Yes. It it should be. Yes, it should. It should be not colonial. It, yes, agreed. Fucking Who who do I need to blame for this word? Hang on, I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up. I'm I blame... was I was going to say Jeff. I mean, I'm going to blame <laughs> its country of origin. Let's see. Colonel. Yes. That's how it's pronounced. Latin fucking Latin. <laughs> what it is Latin? You yeah. said that exactly like Jack Black I'm in School of Rock. Good. Uh, <laughs> Latin to Italian. So yeah, fucking, it's their fault. Dicks. You motherfuckers. Latin. Latin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He's staring at me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Rainy, she's on leave okay. with the colonel. Yeah. Also, this chapter was hard for me to write because I got a little off the rails. So please feel free to jump in. Okay. At any point. Okay. Okay. 
So she's on a 30-day leave, which is why she finds herself in front of Colonel Corelli in New York City. And the two of them are having a very civilized conversation in which Colonel Corelli mentions that her actions in Tunisia have led her to be put up for a silver star. Our second mention of silver star in this book. That's the title of this book. I see book. a pattern. Yes. That's the title of this book. Ha! Huh. We figured it out. Aha, uh-huh, we cracked it. We solved your civil, civil, oh my god, we solved your silver star riddle. That's why I said civil, because I was trying to say riddle right after silver star. Oh, I thought you were... Anyways. Yeah, wrong war. It's fine. <laughs> no, no, I was not trying to say civil war. I was trying to say oh. silver star riddle. See, I, I, I went civil war, so. I went silver star riddle. Your puzzle, your bucket puzzle, we have solved it. Michael Grant, yeah. don't put these puzzles in front of me. <laughs> okay, sorry, calming down. <laughs> Unfortunately, this conversation is interrupted by the biggest fucking rude <laughs> asshole of a man that has man. ever fucking existed. I hate this man. Why couldn't we got special him. agent Dale Cooper and instead we get this fucking dick? Instead we get fucking FBI agent Bayswater. Who's like a New Yorker man who walks in. He's like, listen, doll, I don't think you're that smart. Everybody says you're smart, Rainy, but you're not that smart, are you, honey? Huh, sister, you think that you're great? You're just some broad in a skirt. That's exactly (laughs) his voice, how I pictured it. Yes! (laughs) Fucking precisely. Yes, exactly how he's described, honestly. Like, if this were the movie, bring me in. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Oh, God. Um, But Rainey isn't just a dumb skirt that they've brought in as a woman representation of the military. No, she's quite intelligent. So uh, he quickly figures out that she isn't an idiot because he's like... You'll never guess why I'm here. And she's like, well, actually. <laughs> she will here. actually. She will actually, Sim. I mean, first of all, he's like, you know exactly why I'm here. And she's like, I am here to find out what my orders are from Colonel Corelli. And there's this like super weird power struggle going on because Rainey doesn't answer to this FBI agent. Mm-hmm. He is a citizen. She is under military law, mm-hmm. not citizen law. So she answers to the colonel, but the colonel also has to kind of listen to the FBI because they're working on this mission together, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, this whole thing is just a weird-ass power struggle where Rainey literally once, at one point she goes, I don't know where I got the chutzpah to talk to this guy like this because he's a fucking dick, but, like, I I don't even know where I got this from. So, anyways, he's giving her, like, little tidbits of information And then he's like, oh, I bet you can't figure out why I'm here. And she's like, well, actually, you want to use my connection with my dad to get to, like, a connection in town that's, like, a little too intense that probably has connections in Italy, which is logically where the war is going next. So it's probably got to do with the mob bosses in town that my dad's working for and you need me to get information. And this guy's jaw drops because, like, (laughs) yes. Exactly. Yes, Rainy. That's exactly, like, literally exactly what's happening fuck yeah and um then he tries to recover from this and uh he's like yeah you're gonna go talk to this crime boss who got a little bit too big for his britches and tried to like go into territory that wasn't his and there's a lot of very uncomfortable language that i'm just gonna bypass and (laughs) 
that he's like, you got to get to his family in Italy, which is wild because apparently getting to this guy's son in Italy gives them a foothold there. And they have like connections now to Sicilian crime bosses, which will allow American troops This is where the Colonel comes back into it to be able to get connections in Italy and get to places that they need to go there to help with the war efforts. So this whole thing it's just wild. And Rainy is livid, but she's like, this is also a way that only like she's like, listen, there's tons of people with my rank. There's tons of people that do what I do. There is almost no one that has this connection. And I can make like an actual incredible effort in this war that nobody else can. Like, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's like, all of this is going on internally. She's panicking internally, but outside she is cool as a fucking cucumber. <sighs> And Colonel Corelli continues to be like, hey, listen, Bayswater, she parachuted in with minimal training and did all this incredible shit and stopped like this tank, this column of like Nazis moving shit. Like, you got to stop doing this honey baby routine, my friend. Like, she is, she is great. And the guy is like, absolutely not. He is like, oh, I'm going to report back to my superior officers. You want me to put your dad in jail? And she's like, yeah, sure. Put my dad in jail. Then go ahead and report back to your superior fucking officers that you failed the mission. Put a small time numbers runner in jail and didn't get the Italian connection you're looking for. And then this guy like jumps up out of his chair, almost knocks his chair over, gets all pissed and like tries to intimidate her by like grabbing the back of her chair and breathing down her neck, which is just fucking rude as shit creepy Creepy as fuck and like rainy is like not having any of this and the guy's trying to be like breathing down her neck being like you think that you can talk to Vito the sack the dude has a straight razor and you can imagine what he uses it for with a name like Vito the sack that's your target you really think you're ready for this and rainy's like yeah like not a problem (laughs) like what the fuck it's not even like a problem until finally he's like and then you're gonna report everything back to me and rainy's like i'm not telling you jack shit about my dad and the guy's like you have to and the colonel's like i will be hearing your report rainy not him and i care not about your dad i will hear nothing about your dad i do not give a shit about your dad and rainy's like okay great understood he's like okay you got the mission great she's dismissed to go back to her leave because the colonel's just trying to get like her and Bayswater separated as fast as possible at this point. And so Rainy like gets up and leaves and like fucking power walks away. Like she's fucking out. She's done. But he catches up with her on this crowded street and she is like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And he pulls her off of this street into like this little entryway to a shop and starts like trying to warn her and she said like once he got here he was still super fucking arrogant but some of his infuriating condescension was gone and he starts going amateurs get people killed and she's like oh i fully acknowledge i'm an amateur i'm just gonna like collect information and like she was ordered not to make deals or anything she's just there to like find stuff out and he goes no no not you you're not the amateur i'm talking about colonel corpelli was a translator and a professor he's insanely smart And he can see military plans, but he has no business in the mob boss world. Like, that's not what he knows. He doesn't know how to navigate these waters. He doesn't know these connections. And he's going to get you killed. And he, like, literally said to her, I know you don't want to hear this, but amateurs get people killed. And in this world, he is an amateur. And then the dude just, like, tips his fedora to her and walks away. Jeez. It was, this was a, like so far out of left field chapter for me i didn't know what to do 
Yeah. It's like she's going off on this whole other like side quest thing that's like tangentially related, but like very wildly. Oh. Yeah. And like it does technically connect back to the war and what she's doing, but like all of a sudden we're in like a mob boss thing. Yeah. I don't dislike it. I'm not, none of this is saying <laughs> that I dislike it. I just did not see that coming and I didn't know what to do. Yeah. I definitely thought she was going to be like back overseas and like doing her, her shit over there. And no, she's going right. to, she's going to do a crime boss story. <laughs> right. Oh. Which is amazing. And I'm here for it. Oh, I wonder if, if the guy is going to come back. Um, the dude she rescued from getting mugged by those other dudes. Oh, for sure. I Before Bayswater walked into the room, I thought for sure it was going to be that guy. I, yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm like, oh, a familiar <laughs> face. Um, oh, her love interest is back and he's in the CIA. <laughs> oh, and then it was like, then it was just like, hey, honey, I'm here to say sexist and racist things. My God. Let's go. That fucking dude. So much. The 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 level of racism that came out of that dude's mm. mouth was, I was shocked reading it, and not just like, I'm not like ah oh, like hand over my heart like ah oh, how could you and like you know hand to the forehead like gonna faint because something wild is said. It was the casual manner in which he referred to three groups of people rapid fire in a row that I was like, cool it, hey buddy. Yeah. Cool it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the bright side, though, <laughs> having done that, it is very fun to do that accent <laughs> while talking about this guy. <laughs> you will have to play a D&D character that does a voice like that oh my at God. some point. <laughs> Hey, sister. Oh my god. I can't do it. Hey, honey. You're not just another skirt with the brass. No. You actually have some intelligence behind those eyes, don't you, sweetheart? I hate him. I fucking hate him. <laughs> I want to punch him in his stupid face. Uh, yeah. Fucking so yeah. much. He's the worst. He is the worst. Um, I hope we never see him again. <laughs> How, like, do you know how shitty you have to be to become a villain in a story about Hitler? <laughs> Dabs. <laughs> Sorry, that was so good. Wow. <laughs> man <laughs> he's a bad man he is a terrible man <laughs> wow yeah <laughs> so much Ooh. so so much it's the worst <laughs> he goes in the nasty like dumpster slurry in the very very bottom of the dumpster <laughs> yes the man slurry in the bottom of the dumpster 
where we put the men. (laughs) (laughs) The shitty ones, not the good ones. Right, right. The (laughs) shitty ones. Oh, man. (laughs) Not the ones that politely ask us in the Discord not to throw them (laughs) in the dumpster. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, shit. Oh, man. All right. Well, that uh, that was a chapter. Well, that was a wild chapter that we just went through. Scott. <laughs> I never want to stop doing this accent. <laughs> I think this is how I should talk. From now on. Like, tomorrow, I go into my company that I have worked in for, in less than a month, an entire decade. Yeah. Oh. And I'm going to go in, and they will have known me for almost a whole decade. And I'm going to be like, hey, everybody, I hope everybody's having a wonderful Thursday. How's it going? <laughs> and, like, never say anything. Yes. I think this is this is I would be a nightmare. I think you should do it though. Ten years. Like this is twenty twenty two, Alex. Yeah, do whatever the ten fuck years. You it's want. time for a change. It's time for a change. It is according to the McElroys, twenty twenty two fancy takes flight. Oh, is that what the? Oh, man, I need to catch up. It's been it's been a hot minute. Um, One week since you looked at me. Turn it inside to the manger. Um. i'm so sorry yeah uh this year's slogan is fancy takes flight and what could be more fancy than a brand new new york accent Mm -hmm. well transatlantic accent yeah well detective accent it's not really transatlantic because it has that new york twist on it but it's very close to transatlantic because i can do like half of a thing Mm -hmm. can you get a cigar because I feel like those dudes smoke cigars. So just get a fedora and a cigar. And uh, you're you're ready to go. Is this my character arc to become Michael Grant? Oh, does Michael Grant talk like that? He has a cigar. He does. And a hat. And a hat. Why do we keep pushing in this particular podcast episode that hats define people? (laughs) They do. First of all, you couldn't be Kesha because Kesha does not wear hats. Now, Michael Grant has a hat and it's important. What are we doing? You are what you hat. (laughs) Why is that not a t-shirt? No, why is that not a hat? (laughs) I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> you are what you have. You are what you have. You wear a hat, tip a fedora. You are what you have. <laughs> That's what mom always said. <laughs> That's our 2022 oh my slogan. God. You are what you have. That is our 2022 slogan. I'm glad we finally figured it out in a segment we have never done. <laughs> Name the year or whatever. <laughs> oh, no. All right. All right. Oh. Well. Okay. All right. All right. I'm composed. You ready for chapter four? I am. (laughs) 
Okay. Let's do it. Kay. Rio is bored as shit, hanging out in the tent. After the monotony of weeks and weeks of training and training and more training. And this is where we find our group of sad soldiers. And Jeannot says, I'm going to go grab some chow. And Rio's like, I'm with you. Like instantaneously jumps up like, me too. I'm in. Anything. Anything not to be doing this exact thing that we're doing right now, which is laying here listening to Tilo be an obnoxious jackass. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, Tilo is a pain in the ass. A little bit. Okay. Just a little one. A little bit. Um, as they are leaving this tent, they run into Sergeant Cole, who's like, whoa, 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 where you go? Where are you going? And they're like, to get Chow. Wait, to go to the bathroom, to get Chow. And then Jeannot darkly goes, and then to maybe go to the bathroom again. Because there's like, the food is not good. They are having poop attacks. It's very bad. Oh, no. Um, and I know. It's very bad. And Sergeant Cole's like, okay, well, before you do that, check out what I brought. Good news and gooder news. And they're like, okay, what's the good news? He's like, I have a replacement for Castle. And hearing that there's a replacement for Castle, just hearing Castle's name, Rio wipes her hand on her pants, like oh. unconsciously wiping off the blood yep. that was no longer on her hands. Jesus fucking Christ. Yes. An incredible detail. Mm -hmm. In a in a summary where I, Alex, give no details, <laughs> I did have to give this one. It is very good. <laughs> it's so good. Um, so Cole introduces Private Ben Bassingthwaite. There's so many THs in this name. Ben Bassingthwaite of Beaverton. And they're trying to come up with a name for him, and Tilo's like, Beaver, <laughs> that's what I call Jeannot, so I can't call him that. And Jeannot's like, fuck off, you dumb piece of shit. And, like, finally, this this new kid, Ben, is, like, so frustrated listening to them try to come up with his name. He's like, it's BB. It's BB. It's always BB. Listen, it, it'll just be BB. That's what it is. <laughs> and they're like, fine, we'll call you BB. And, like, he doesn't like this name. He's not happy about this name. <laughs> this is just what it ends up being. <laughs> Bebe. God. Bebe. Yes, this is this is the bebe. <laughs> but in gooder news, because remember I was giving you guys good and gooder news? That was the good news. Here's the gooder news. Cole also got them a 24-hour leave. And before he can even finish that sentence, everybody is, like, cheering and grabbing their money and shit and, like, leaving. And Cole's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up. And they pause in, like, this comedic like mid celebration pause scene he's like no bar fights no bad behavior you cannot take your guns with you don't get drunk rio Jeannot, you're in charge of bebe and rio's like isn't that your job and he's like my job is to delegate tasks and i delegate bebe to you <laughs> and she's like you fucking jackass but all right so there's no getting out of that part of it. They grab their money and they're like, come on, baby, we got to go fast. We got to catch this ride. We're getting the fuck out of here. I that we're calling him baby. And baby, it's baby forever now. <laughs> so they catch this ride. And as they're driving out of the, the encampments where they're at, they pass an upended tank where there's a bunch of soldiers of color rushing around and yelling. 
Oh! Imagine that! That sounds familiar! It sounds strangely familiar. Oh, wow. Yeah. They didn't even stop to fucking help. But they don't... They didn't even stop to help. (sighs) They just keep going. And they spend the rest of the ride insulting women and Japanese people. Yay! (laughs) And... Uh. Yeah. yeah. So they're like, okay, Panzu, what the fuck? Are you gonna go to a brothel once we get into town? Like, what the fuck to all of this? Fuck Your you. children. I throw gear out of the of the of the whatever the fuck kind of vehicle they're in. Throw him out. Yes, throw him out. He's still a piece of shit. Still a piece of shit. Tilo also kind of a piece of shit. Yep. Stick? Seems okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They're fine, okay? None of them are great, but they are fine. Yeah. So whatever. It's a very weird car ride. Yeah. It's a very strange car ride. Yeah. But they get to town. And the boys all split off. And go their direction, except for Bebe, because he is, of course, with Jeannot and Rio. And Rio, Jeannot, Kat, Jillian, and Bebe are like, we got to go do our own thing. And they find themselves in this row of, like, vendors and, like, little stalls where they're selling things and everything. And Rio goes up to one that has this knife that catches her eye. And she tries to talk to the man about it, but, like, he will not acknowledge her and we soon realize that this is because of a cultural barrier that we did not expect to run across, but they're in an Arab city. And so, like, they will not be dealt with. And so Rio gets Bebe to negotiate for her. And uh, he, quotation marks, ends up buying the knife for $6 and then hands it over to her. And she tucks it into her belt and says, this is a great birthday present for myself. And that's when Janot is like, Oh my god, it's your birthday. <laughs> Happy 18th. Oh shit. And they're all like, 18th? What? And they're like, yeah, I was underaged. And then they're like, oh, they're not going to kick you out now. Let's go get celebratory drinks. Yay. So <laughs> Nice job, everyone. Yeah, so we, we did it, guys. Yep. We did it. Mm-hmm. So, you know... Uh, So they head into the first establishment where the bartender is, like, pretty openly hostile towards all these women. And there's a bunch of, like, foreign soldiers who have been in the shit. And, like, they are clearly very fucked up about it. Like, they are tense. Every time they laugh, it's, like, laughing too hard. Like, fake laughter. The whole thing is is crazy. And then, like... Kat just starts getting people to tell her stories and Janelle is just holding court. Rio tries to go up to the bar to get beer for them. And the bartender is like not just straight up ignoring her, will not engage with her. So she pulls out her new fucking knife, holds it up to the light and kind of just starts like fingering the side of the blade until she intimidates this dude into giving them beers. And like, Jillian was with her kind of, but like holding back. And Jillian was like, holy shit, dude, that was fucking terrifying. (laughs) And Rio like kind of like conspiratorially is like, it's just an act. Don't worry about it. And like, that's wild on so many levels. Mm -hmm. Like it's, 
And like even back in Rainy's chapter, Rainy like reminisced about Rio and how fucking terrifying she mm-hmm. was. Rio does not know how terrifying she is to everybody, but she is scary. Not yet. So like not yet. She will soon. I love this. Ugh. But uh yeah, so Jillian's like you're terrifying and Rio's like, "Oh, it's just an act" and like winks, but like whatever. And uh, Rio realizes, like, she doesn't know shit about Jillian. So she's like, hey, where are you from? And, like, they start talking about it. What does your family do? Printing press stuff. And, like, so she finds out through that line of conversation that sometimes her dad prints art and she likes it. And Rio's like, oh, right. You draw stuff, don't you? And Jillian's like, yeah. And so, like, somehow Jillian ends up starting to show Rio some drawings. And Rio is, like, blown away by her work. But Jillian's like, yeah, I drew you, too, and starts showing her pictures. And there's this one that she shows her where, like, Rio is, like, frozen in time, about to laugh. And Rio's like, oh, do you remember who I was talking to that was making me laugh? And, like, Jillian's face goes red, and she's like, nope, nope. So, like, Rio knew right away it was Jack. And, like... (sighs) They just, they, they're going through. She's seeing more stuff. She sees Tilo in there and, like, Cole standing, like, with a rifle posed on his hip and his buck teeth. And they were kind of focused on this until two hands reach around Rio and grab her breasts. And she takes the cigarette that Jillian had and burns the man's hand. And the man has the fucking audacity to be like, I'm mad at you. You burned me and I would punch you if you weren't a woman. I'm sorry. You just sexually assaulted someone in a bar, sir. <laughs> yep. That was wild. That, yeah. That was fucking wild. That was fucking insane. Yeah. Ugh. So, Ugh. at that point, it kind of, like, you know, Kat and Jeannot and Bebe, after a second of hesitation, all kind of gather around and, like, they have this united front kind of thing going on. But they decide it is time to leave this establishment and go to somewhere else. And so they find a second drinking establishment that was much more welcoming. The bartender's happy to serve them. They're having a great time. Unfortunately... Jack and the boys do walk in after a while, and Tilo is fucking gone. This dude is fucking wasted. And that's kind of okay at first, and they're kind of like, you know, shooting the shit and like, oh, fancy meeting you here. Ha 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 ha. Until a group of, okay, this is the word I meant to look up. Gomes? G-O-U-M-S? Uh. Let's look up how to pronounce this. Google and stuff with Casey and Alex. Google and stuff with Casey and Alex. Gomes. Uh, no, that that auto corrected to guns. I've got something from the game Hollow Knight. Hollow Knights? Yeah, which is a video game. Oh, I feel slightly more confident in my pronunciation. Oh, that's a now. U, not an A. Sorry. Moroccan gumier, a French military terminology. A gum was a unit of two hundred auxiliaries. Three or four gums make up a tabor. But give me a pronunciation, please. Nope. Guess what? We're on our own. It's the gums. So a l- group of drunk gums walk in, loud, aggressive ready to fucking rage 
And Tilo, being a piece of shit, starts saying horrifically racist things. And he's like, hey, those racist terms can't drink, can they? And they're like, well, they did loosen the restrictions on that because we are at war. And most likely these guys did not understand Tilo's words, but they understood Tilo was looking at them and being a shit and acting like a douchebag. So they came up and they pushed him and he like slams directly into Rio and Stick jumps up and tries to defuse the situation and like is waving his hands like, hey, calm down, everybody, everybody chill. And that's how they all entered their very first bar fight. (laughs) That is chapter four. Whoa, shit. It's fine. Yeah. Fucking. Who knew? Little, little troublemakers. Little shits. Little shits all around. Well, I mean, Rhea didn't do anything wrong. Uh, no. The girls are fine. Neither t- Fridge didn't do anything wrong. I mean, our, yeah, the girls didn't do anything wrong. BB did not do anything wrong. Bebe. Bebe, he's, he's all right. The Bebe. Tilo needs to fucking he's all right, so. get his shit together. Gear- Tilo needs to fucking cool yeah. it. Yeah. There's, yeah. <sighs> Men. Uh, Stick's okay. Jack's okay. Jack, Jack is, like, yeah. striking me as kind of, he's just kind of, like, a fucking mess of a person. Like, I mean, to be fair, like, he's he's been through some shit even before entering the, the war. Um, yeah. But, like, he's, like... I don't know. There's something about Jack. Jack's like Jack's like very sad to me. Like there's definitely like he uses his charm and his wit to like compensate for the fact that he's fucking sad. Like that's the impression I'm getting from yeah. him. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Ugh. Oops. Um Oh, and also there was a drawing of Rio where she was extremely terrifying. In the drawing, and she <laughs> saw that she was extremely terrifying, and she's like, "Oh God, I'm terrifying! I don't like that. That's not me. That's not me. That is you, Rio. That is me. That is you. <laughs> there, inside of you, there are two Rios. <laughs> <laughs> if you morph into a starfish, you will separate into two Rios. Oh my God! <laughs> oh my God!" <sighs> <laughs> the Rio Starfish book we all need. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, I I cannot help but compare Rio to Rachel all the it's time. Honestly, so like they're very different, but they've got kind of the same like thing going on, like the same story arc, right? Yeah. Where they're like normal girl who thinks that they are one way which like Rio not that she's like a gymnast or or super pretty but like she is a farmer and her she's going to grow up and have babies and do the same bread on the same counter blah 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 and like it's something that you were intended for is waiting for you and you just needed the opportunity to step into that lifestyle yeah and you're willing to do it too like, yeah. Yeah. And you find out you're good at yeah. it. Whether or not you like it, you're good at yeah. it. Yeah. And it's now your job to keep doing the thing and do it well. And what is that going to do to you? Like, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Same. 
Same vibe. Same energy. Oh, shit. Same energy. Um, what else was I going to say? <laughs> Jillian's a good drawer. That's all I could think of when you were recapping them. <laughs> I could hear you giggling, but like you weren't interjecting. So I was like, I'll just keep going. Yes, we'll find out later. <laughs> Do you draw stuff? Wow, you're a really good drawer. Can you draw me? <laughs> I was like, we're waiting for that. I'm like, don't fucking do it, Rio. Do it. Do it. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. I like, what a, oh, man. What a wild trip. Yeah. We, in the first four chapters, we are now in a Italian mob crime syndicate and a bar fight yep this book has everything it's going places it's going all over yeah like it went from a very like band of brothers feeling thing to like shenanigans a very like firefly feeling thing to me yeah does that make sense oh that's a good point Is Tilo Jane? <laughs> no, he can't. No, no. I no. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just don't want him to be. I'm not saying he's not. I'm just saying I don't want oh, no. it. <laughs> I call it fear. <laughs> oh no. Okay. All right. We won't. We won't draw comparisons there. It's like, yeah. It's like. I mean, I. It's like mixing two delicious things that will not be delicious together. Maybe. Maybe? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like it's more like adding matcha powder to anything. Like, Tilo is matcha powder. I don't like it, and I don't want it in my food, and people keep insisting I'm going to like it's it. It's full of antioxidants, or I don't know. <laughs> it helps your heart. At what cost? <laughs> Oh, there's a lot of racist shit in this book. So much. So like so they much. dialed it up from the last book. Like, yeah. And like no one's safe. Everybody, everybody gets a fucking nickname and slur and shit. Like, damn. Yep. Yuppers. They sure did. Yep. Oh, man. And like. The worst part of that is having known, like, some people in the military that joined and, like, were at that age of, like, they're not 20 yet and they're suddenly experiencing, like, I'm away from home and I'm in some shit that, like, is gonna fuck me over and I feel kind of entitled to act out a little bit because of the way that this is gonna affect me. I feel like I'm owed something. It's very much like a real thing that I feel like I've observed happening but reading it now as somebody with more perspective that's fucked up I mean yeah absolutely like this is you know obviously I wasn't there but this feels very indicative of the time and I have seen you know a lot of comparable 
shit in like similar media. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. reading reading it now, uh, not great. <laughs> um, it's not good. Mm-mm. I mean, it wasn't okay back then either, but yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, just because something is, like, more socially accepted in a certain time period does not mean it's okay. It's just slightly different. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah. Uh, I don't know. And, like, I'm just, I'm a little bit worried that... I'm worried about it becoming, like, gratuitous. Like... I think doing it once or twice just to, like, kind of set the scene is, like, okay, sure, fine. Mm -hmm. But, like, if you keep doing it, like, more... It's kind of like how I felt about, like, when they were on the ship and it was just, like, rampant, like, sexual advances, like, one after another. There were, like, ten of them. And at a certain point, I was Mm -hmm. just like, okay, we get it. Shit sucks. Like, so I, I just don't want it to get, like overused i guess yeah to that level because then it's like okay mm-hmm. are you just like having a good time over there like what's going on <laughs> yeah Ugh. yeah there's a balance that needs to be considered yeah. no i don't think that we passed that in this part honestly mm-hmm. like i don't think it was as gratuitous as like the boat scene mm-hmm. or anything like mm-hmm. that but it was definitely more prominent and more obvious that it was happening. Yeah. I don't know. But then again, most of it was from Bayswater, so <laughs> who really cares? Because that guy's a fucking villain. <laughs> oh, shit. I will never not do that accent for Good, that guy. Good, you have to. Now I, I kind of hope he's in more of this book just so you do that accent more often. But also, I hate him and I don't want him. <laughs> so it's a double-edged sword. I hope he's gone forever. <laughs> slash, I hope he's back all the time. <laughs> I can want two things simultaneously. <laughs> Inside you, there are two phase oh, no. One that you want to leave and one that you want to stay. I don't want any Bayswaters in there. Yeah, I don't want any Bayswaters. He's the worst. Every time we say Bayswater, I think we're going to say Bezos, like Jeff Bezos, which is also bad. I know. And then every time, every, every time it's a fake out. Oh, it's all bad. Um, Can you imagine that if you were a fucking crime boss and your name was Vito the Sack because you cut guys' testicles off? Like, what the fuck? What, what are you doing, man? Veto the sack. Veto the sack. Uh, why can't you be like Veto like, the cutter or something? Yeah. Veto the neuterer. No. That's that's hard to say. The um, castrator. I don't know. Ooh, then you don't even need to say veto. You could just be the castrator. Yeah. Yeah. Why wouldn't you be like Vito, the OG Soprano? Oh. Make it like a Sopranos reference, which they would obviously know about. Yeah, because The Sopranos was a hit TV show on HBO back in 1943. 
41, whenever the yes. fuck this was. Yes, it was. Oh, no. Yep. Shit. Veto the sack. Veto the sack. What a <laughs> dumb name. Well, um, maybe he's a dumb guy. Maybe he's just... I don't know. He sounds pretty dumb. Yeah. Another one for the dumpster, perhaps. We'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> Next time on Animorphs Anonymous slash Apple Grant Book Club. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. Yeah. I don't know where this book's going. I have no fucking idea. Let's see. How much of part one is left? Oh, no. There it goes. All right, we're halfway through part one. Uh, yeah, chapters five through ten is left. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. I guess we'll... I bet the rest of it's going to be just, like, setup and character development, and then we'll yeah. start getting into the shit in part two. Hmm. Yeah. That sounds about right. That's what I'm thinking. I'm ready... I'm ready for this book to fuck me up. I'm already, like, extremely delighted with the bits of, uh, like, the, the um, what is it called? Jesus Christ. Where Rio is, like, she gets, like, ticks almost. Yeah. Around her PTSD. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm, like, those details get mm-hmm. me every time. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. So good. Yep. So good. Shit. Oh, man. Next time she's in, like, the heat of battle, I wonder how she's going to react. Not well. Well, no, actually probably very well, honestly. Right. But, like, also not well. She's probably going to get her knife out and stab She's got a knife now. What the fuck? She's got a knife. I wonder what $6 was in 1941. $400 $400 by transatlantic it's standards. It's probably going to be a lot. $6 and... 400 American dollars. Uh, converted amount. Let me guess. It's like $60 114. or something. $114. Oh. $115, something like that. What? $6 and... For yeah, real? Yeah, like $115. Good fucking knife. What? Yeah. That's what it says. That's what, that's what the Google says. Shit was a penny. Inflation's crazy. I think. Yeah, I was I was going to say, I think inflation finally just hit me. Inflation's not good. It, it's not. Listen, I've known it's not good. I've known things were insane. But $6, like, 80 years ago, being... 115 today dollars? Wow. Like, that gets me more than the whole, like, oh, you could buy a house and support a family on a single income without a college degree. Like, now, now it hit Mm -hmm. me that I could buy a knife, a really insanely good knife for six dollars. Yep. Wow. The more you know. Okay, I have another question. 
Okay. What's a silver star in the military? What? You, uh, let's Google it. Let's Google it. I don't fuck. I don't fucking know anything. I've never, I've never known anything. I will never know anything. Googling <laughs> stuff with Casey and Alex. We don't know anything about the military. I was just gonna stop at anything. Somebody's screaming. The at Silver us. Star Medal. Sissum. Uh, Jeff and Dan. Yep. Yes. Hi. Hi. <laughs> and who? Wait. Hang on. Tony is also screaming at us now. Hi, Tony. Tony, welcome. Yay. Welcome. <laughs> welcome to this part of the podcast where you and Jeff and Dan <laughs> scream at us. Okay. <laughs> the Silver Star Medal, or the SSSM, is the United States Armed Forces' third highest military decoration for valor in combat. The Silver Star Medal. Fucking phone. Why would you go blank? I'm in the middle of reading. Jesus. The <laughs> Silver Star Medal is awarded is primarily to me- <laughs> It blacked it out mid-reading. Uh, the Silver Star Medal is awarded primarily to members of the United States Armed Forces for gallantry in action against an enemy of the United States. We Gallantry. And that is... Silver Star. Okay. You did good. You did a good military action. Congrats. You militared so good. You did a thing. You did a gallant maneuver in front of an enemy. Yay! You made the Nazi man take off his pants and shoes and run behind the car. Yes, you did. <laughs> Honestly, they and should give awards for, for that. that. We salute you. Yes. Yeah, you get a special award. That wasn't sarcasm. <laughs> you should yes. absolutely get a, you should get a silver star for that. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's really where Rainy's silver star recommendation came from. Uh. Honestly, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't the parachuting and the planning and the. <laughs> Wasn't anything <laughs> but that. Oh, shit. What else? What else do we got? I, I don't even know. Like, I feel like I laid it all out there, man. Laid it bare. I just, I, I'm dying to know where this is going from here. <laughs> do we have anything else we want to talk about in regards to this book? I think I'm good. I'm excited. I'm excited too. I I'm really fucking excited to see where this mob boss thing goes. Yeah. Like I, this was just a twist that I did not see coming. Mm-hmm. Like it went in a direction. What? Just what? It did. It did. All right, let's try to make our current day six dollars to pay for our hundred and twenty one dollar coffees <laughs> what? by that i mean let's transition into our outros okay. where we can tell people how to find us but it, it was mostly the patreon thing i was referencing for beside you oh. but <laughs> that's where i was trying to get to and i just i got depressed midway through and trailed oh, off no. okay uh if if you want to 
give me anything. Like, did you see this mob shit coming? Oh my God. Uh, just go ahead and send that email over to anonymousanimorphs at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at Animorphs Anonymous or join our super secret, super awesome subgroup, the Andalite Bandalites. Or you can find us at Twitter at Animorphs Anon or Instagram at Animorphs Anonymous. And we also have all of the Apple Grant Book Club properties on everything. Yeah. So. Yeah. Although I think... I think we're a little bit more active on the Animorphs Anonymous ones. Those have a little bit more. We absolutely traction. are. Traction. Absolutely. So they exist, but like you can also just do Animorphs Anonymous. Either way, we are the ones behind yeah. that particular computer screen. And yes, so. we are. Either or, it's up to you. Uh, did you know? That we have a Discord server. No. Oh, okay. Well, what? We have a Discord server. Um, fuck. <laughs> why is that fuck? It's a good thing. It's fun because there are Animorphs oh, fans. Oh, yay. Animorphs fans abound. <laughs> so many of them. All of them cool folks. And we all talk and hang out. And we post pictures of our pets. And we talk about our days. And we post our Wordle results. And talk about Animorphs. And it's fun. Um, you can get the link to that if you hit us up on any of our socials and, uh, we'll send that to you and you can join our little group. And also we have a YouTube page, um, and then we post archived episodes of Animorphs Anonymous every Wednesday and you can find that at Strong Shape International on YouTube. Hell yeah. I'm sick of listening. I want to read. Fix it for me. <laughs> this is this is a very common problem, and I deeply <laughs> sympathize with your plight. May I recommend a potential medication that could improve your life? It is a webcomic that I make and draw, and it is called Beside You. And you can get that for the low, low price of absolutely free. And read that at bsideyoucomic.com. You can also read it for free on Tapas and Webtoons. Or for the low, low price of $1 to $5, you can go to my Patreon and you can support the webcomic directly. You can see work in progress pages and early access pages and 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 sometimes other things. And um, that's what you can do for your ailment. Perfect. And for the low, low price of $212.86, you can sign up for Casey's Patreon. One of the tiers is the Slater cast, and that's the podcast that Dan and I do just about Slater, the best character ever. Don't argue with us. We have a podcast about it. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> There's a podcast about it, therefore it must be true. Oh. Yes. Exactly. Speaking of podcasts. If there's anything we've proven on Animorphs Anonymous, it's that if you say it on a podcast, it's fact. It's, yep, that's how it works. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Okay, sorry. What were you saying? Uh, speaking of podcasts that uh, Alex is on that aren't Animorphs Anonymous, um, yeah, that. What's up with that? Oh my God, finally. Finally, I get to tell you 
my favorite way to say this podcast. I am on a podcast called Horse Girls, <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> This is a way in which we've been introduced before by members of the Bosch crew. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yes, so come and listen to Horse Girls, a podcast where Jenna and Alex take Tim on an epic equestrian journey for the ages and turn him into the real ultimate horse girl, Tim. <laughs> but yeah, we it's, it's Tim and Jenna and I reading horse books from Heartland and soon to be others, and it's delightful. And listen, we have a Patreon too that if you go on... Maybe you'll find Casey there. <gasps> Bet you didn't see that coming, Me? did you? I'm there? Yeah. Oh. You're there. Yeah. I don't remember this. She'll just... <laughs> well, that's not good because we got to record more episodes. <laughs> so shit. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, wait. Hang on. There's more. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Um... I'm on other podcasts, too. One of them is called Dungeons and Draken Beams, which is an Animorphs D&D AU real play podcast. Listen, there's a lot of words in a lot of orders, and one of them is right. And if I just say all the words one day, the order will be correct. You get the gist. And uh, you get the gist of it. I'm playing D&D. I'm an Aminorph in this D&D world. We actually call ourselves the Humanimals because it's an AU podcast. Whatever. We have the best GM ever, Austin. He's wonderful. And if I could do a passable Southern accent at this point in my life, I would do it for you for D&DB because we're all about the accents tonight. <laughs> Shit. What else am I on? Uh, I am sometimes on Chemist Crisis. We're in a little bit of a hiatus right now. But Chemist to Crisis, this is a Superboy podcast. Oh. And now I don't know what to do. Yeah, I was, I was about to say you're on a secret one, but that's not coming out for a while. But I'll say it. Fuck it. There's another podcast that Casey and I are on, and it's secret right now, and you'll have to wait to find out about it's it. It's in development. So there. It's in development. We're gonna be on another podcast together, and we're gonna have a good time forever and ever. I'm shimmying. And that's my song. Yeah, I danced to it. Just hell yeah. Audio. <laughs> um. Oh shit. Thank you <coughs> to Jess for our awesome theme music that we love and listen to on a loop for three days. Yes. Three whole days. We were not allowed to sleep during this. Uh, and then we stopped and we hit record on this podcast. Welcome to the social experiment of the ages. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, what else? I think that's it. Okay. Um, let's go get into a bar fight. Uh, and maybe go hang out with the mafia after. I have never been more excited for an ending CTA that you've given me. I want to go get in a bar fight now. All right. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs>